right, welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 13th, 2017. An exciting day for me because I'm making my television debut, uh, doing some commentary on the Cavs-Knicks game on MSG, so I'm pretty excited about that tomorrow. And the games, the first one on the slate for Matt and I to talk about is we have the Sacramento Kings at the Washington Wizards. The Kings have really sucked this year. There's there's nothing to talk about them from a fantasy perspective because they're playing like 11 people deep. Dave Yeager, the coach, he is what I'd like to call a dunderhead. I think that's the the best uh, adjective for him. He's playing he's playing these old guys who just suck, like Vince Carter, Zach Randolph. I, I kind of like George Hill as a player overall, except I think he's just disinterested at this point. Like George Hill has been a really good player in previous years. He has not looked good this year. And I, I don't know, like, this team is just so in between competing and tanking where they're they're not winning games, they're getting blown out, but they're still playing veterans. It, I think this is an easy situation for me to stay away from. From the Wizards' side, I think there is upside in guys like Wall and Markeith Morris. They're not cash game playable because this game has a very strong chance to be one-sided. The Kings have played 11 games, I think, this year, and they've lost at least five of them by 18 points. So if the game gets out of hand, the Kings are just going to get smashed in this game. So Wizards, not cash game playable. But for GPPs, there's upside in John Wall and Markeith Morris. So two alarming things that I've noticed from your initial commentary for this podcast. One, I'm surprised you didn't want to start with the Knicks-Cavs game because that's the biggest. I have to do the games in order. (laughs) Okay, well, that that at least makes sense. But the one thing I can't possibly... (laughs) What, What was that? I get confused if we don't do them in order. Oh, yes, and I'm sure the listeners do also. But the one thing that's unforgivable is that you didn't mention Costa Kufis amongst the Kings veterans that get playing time for no reason because he's one of my favorite players. I just really enjoyed his movements and his facial expressions. So you should. Well, all- the, King, the Kings are so bad and they play so many random players that Costa Kufis doesn't even make the list of people who I'm annoyed that they play minutes. <laughs> the, the other thing that's annoying about Dave Yeager, and then we'll move on to this, is that Yeager, like one of my favorite players on the Kings is Scow. Scalabissier, who I think is really athletic and could, I think he could potentially be even an all-star level player with uh, his skill set and just how athletic he is, is that the reason that Dave Yeager says he isn't playing a minute is because so many teams are playing small and that he needs to be more athletic and have a quicker team to be able to play in the modern NBA. But he's playing Costa Kufis and Zach Randolph minutes. So how can those guys get minutes against athletic small ball teams, but Scal can is just totally ridiculous to me. So We'll move on to the next game. Do you, I'm assuming, Matt, you agree? Yeah, we can definitely move on. Let's ignore this game. All right, so the next game, the one that I am more interested in, is the Cavs-Knicks game. And from the Cavs side of the game, uh, Derrick Rose is not expected to play as of right now. I think I think people will probably want to use Jeff Green a little bit in GPPs. I'm off of Green. He had one really, really good game, except I think that people kind of don't realize, well, actually, I'm sure that people don't realize. People just look at the box score and then look at the context of what created that good game. So Derek Rose was out when Jeff Green had his 40 fantasy point game, but Jeff Green was also priced well below 4000 for that game, and Kevin Love got into foul trouble. Kevin Love is probably not going to get into foul trouble tonight. From the Cavs side of the game, the only people that I think are really strong targets are LeBron James and Kevin Love. Uh, let me look at Dwayne Wade's minutes, actually. Wade's just not been playing enough minutes. He had like a weird two-game stretch where he played 32 minutes and 27 minutes. But other than that, he's been pretty consistent around 20 minutes and below. He is not a viable option, and there's nobody else on the Cavs who I really think is a strong play. 
from the Knicks side of the game, I think there's a lot of fair pricing. I think there's a little bit of upside in Tim Hardaway at 6,200, and there's a lot of security in Kristaps uh, Porzingis at 9,600. He actually scored 34 points in his first 14 minutes on the floor against the Kings the other day. So speaking of how bad the Kings are, the Knicks just beat the Kings by 27 points. And Porzingis actually finished with 49 DraftKings fantasy points in just 26 minutes against them. Porzingis has been really consistent scoring 45-plus fantasy points every night. I think he's a really safe cash game option. I don't have any concerns about that ankle or elbow injury. So for the Cavs, I guess if Derrick Rose sits, then Iman Shumpert is going to play a ton of minutes, but he just doesn't do anything, so I don't really think you can roster him anyway. And I guess I'd consider Wade if Rose is out, but it does seem like even when Rose isn't playing, Wade just isn't getting a ton of minutes. He's probably capped around 28 to 30. So I do agree with you. It's probably just LeBron and Kevin Love. For the Knicks, do you think that this could be finally the game where Neil Aquina gets to start? Because he's still priced under 4000 If he ends up playing somewhere in the 30s in minutes, he's probably a really strong bet to hit value and probably go way past that. So I guess there's potential for him to be one of the stronger plays on the slate. Yeah, and then Neil Aquina seems to have a relatively friendly DFS game just because he does get steals and he gets a lot of assists. So Neil Aquina this year is actually averaging 17 DraftKings fantasy points in 20 minutes. So even in this matchup in 20 minutes, he's kind of like borderline expected value. It's just not enough upside for me to consider rostering him at only 20 minutes. But yeah, if he starts... I mean, I think we could expect him to score somewhere around 30 fantasy points in this matchup. So he would he would be an absolute awesome play if he starts. I've been saying this for a little while now. He's going to start at some point. We just don't know when it is. But yeah, this if this is the game, then fire up Neil Aquino, cash game is GPP. So last thoughts on the Knicks. I'm probably off Porzingis just because there's a game that we're about to get to at some point where there's a lot of similarly priced players, and I don't think it'll be totally viable to fit Porzingis in those stacks. So for cash games, I agree he's safe, but I think I'll probably just be light on Porzingis for Monday. No, I do uh, I do think that makes sense. I, I think that he's somebody who's in play, but I don't think he's somebody who would have a ton of exposure to on this slate. Uh, the next game, the Atlanta Hawks at the New Orleans Pelicans. So I'll be interested to see what the Hawks do with their starting lineup for this game. They have played John Collins a few minutes at power forward the last couple games after playing him exclusively as a center, but they still seem a little adverse to playing Dwayne Dedman and John Collins a lot of minutes together. But they're playing against the Pelicans, who have DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis front court. So if they're going to keep starting Luke Babbitt, that means that Anthony Davis can be matched up against Luke Babbitt, which is one of the most ridiculously one-sided matchups that I could think of, and that would be such a huge favor for Anthony Davis, that would make him my favorite player to play up for on the to pay up for on the slate. Just the question is, are the Hawks really going to do that? Like, are they just gonna are they gonna have Luke Babbitt start the game on Anthony Davis? So I think that John Collins is a possibility to start. Either way, though, I think that Collins is a good GPP play, not a good cash game. He's just been alternating games recently, going under ten points and over thirty points. So that's exactly what we want from GPPs because he's priced in between. He's priced at forty seven hundred. So he's priced for his mean production somewhere in the low 20-point range, but he never scores low 20 points. He's either going way low or way over that. So that's the kind of variance that makes for a nice target in tournaments. And Dennis Schroeder at 7,100. If this game stays close, he's going to hit value because that's the only way that the Hawks stay in any games that Dennis Schroeder plays well. 
So at 7,100, I think that he's fine as a GPP target. I wouldn't target him in cash games for this night. And then from the Pelican side of the game, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, they've both been ridiculous this year. So they're in play, but I prefer Anthony Davis, especially if Luke Babbitt is going to be starting for the Hawks. So first I want to mention the line movement here. The Hawks have already dropped from plus 10 to plus 9. So probably some sharp money there for them to have that much of a line move this early. We're recording Sunday night. Um, Usually lines don't move a full point without injury news unless there's some sharp action that's affecting it. So because of that, I'm not as worried about a blowout as I might be. And to that point, I agree with you on Schroeder. He's probably worth playing. And if the game's going to stay close, he's probably going to have to play well. And I do think that will be the case. So he's he's usable for sure. Um, as far as John Collins, I actually like him more if he's coming off the bench. Because if he gets moved into the starting lineup, I think there's two problems. One, he's going to have to guard Anthony Davis, so way higher risk of foul trouble. But also, he's going to be way higher owned because everyone will see starting lineup John Collins. And then he'll it'll definitely be driving his ownership up because everyone just likes starting players more than bench players. Um, so if Luke Babbitt's starting... I think Davis and Collins become the two guys to target from the game in addition to Schroeder because Babbitt probably will not last long in this game either because of fouls or because he'll just have to be pulled. Because he sucks at basketball. Because he sucks at basketball and he especially will suck at guarding Anthony Davis. Um, So if Collins is coming off the bench, I think he's going to end up with more minutes than usual just because of the structure of the Pelicans lineup with Boogie and Davis in the front court. Um, so I, I hope that they don't move him into the starting lineup because that's a boost for Anthony Davis and it's potentially a boost for John Collins also. So between those two guys and Schroeder, I think those are those are the three definite targets that I have from this game. I will agree. The next game on the slate, I don't even really want to talk about because it's just a fade for me. It is the Memphis Grizzlies at the Milwaukee Bucks. Both these teams are playing at pretty slow paces this year. The Grizzlies also one of the better defensive teams in the league. So not a lot of interest from me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would have some interest because Milwaukee has been surprisingly bad defensively this year. I think we both agree that they'll move up from their second worst defensive efficiency mark that they're at so far. But Mike Conley and Marcus Soul just aren't that expensive. So if you're buying into Milwaukee being bad at defense, I would use them. But they're also, I think, are better spots with one game in particular that we haven't gotten to yet. So... I would consider the Conley-Gasol combination, but it probably just doesn't make the cut because there's better spots to target. Yeah, one quick comment on that is uh, Tyreek Evans has a massive role in the offense for the Grizzlies this year, much more so than I think anybody expected coming into the year. It's not that we didn't think that Tyreek Evans could be a good player. It's just it's been so many years since he's been healthy, and now he's healthy. He's playing without a minutes restriction for the first time in like three or four years. And he's been their go-to guy in late-game situations, and I think that's probably the main reason why the fantasy production is so down from Conley and Gasol is basically Tyreek Evans is their point guard in crunch time right now. So Conley's playing off the ball a lot, and then obviously just less touches for Gasol also. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Evans definitely seems to have changed the dynamic. Conley just hasn't had the usage that he's had in previous years, so that is a concern. Um I guess even though I'm then sort of high on Memphis's offense as a whole, since the usage is a bit more diluted from the top guys than it usually is, then it just makes it harder to use them. All right, so halfway through these games about, and the next one, Lakers at the Suns. Lonzo Ball is coming off really like his first quality game as a pro. I know he had uh, 
Well, that's not true. He had he had one good game earlier in the year against the Suns also. But definitely last game, 70 fantasy points against the Bucs. Uh, youngest player in NBA history to have a triple-double. On the whole, Lonzo Ball has been awful this year. He's been very Mar- Michael Carter-Williams-esque. He has shown the ability to put up rebounds and assists, so he's a pretty friendly DFS game. But given that his price has gone up, and I assume he's going to be massively owned following what he did in the last game, uh, keep in mind also, he was only, well, at least I have to go off FanDuel ownership because obviously the DraftKings slate got canceled. Uh, <laughs> but he was only 4% owned on FanDuel, and he's more expensive this slate than he was last slate. And I'm going to assume that he's going to be one of the chalkiest players on the slate. I can't ignore how bad he was basically every single game of his career before last game. So I think that Lonzo Ball at 7,300 against the Suns. For cash games, I I think it's somewhat acceptable because of how favorable the matchup is. And maybe there is the hope that he's turned the corner. For GPPs, I'm just going to fade him because of his ownership. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I have no interest in rostering Ball either. The ownership is a big concern, but... Even for cash games, I just don't think he's anywhere close to as good as what he, as to how he performed in his last game. Like you said, like Mar- Michael Carter Williams, most of the year he just can't shoot. So it is a good matchup against the Suns. It is a road game though, so a little bit of a downgrade. And I guess the bottom line for me is more just better spots. If this was a smaller slate, I'd consider him, but then I'd also probably be more inclined to fade him due to even higher ownership than what we're going to see in the current situation. So I actually, I, I prefer the sun side of the game a lot more. And looking at the line movement here, maybe the Lonzo ball, huge game from Saturday night contributed to the opening line here because the Lakers opened as one point favorites and the suns are now two point favorites. So a three point swing, we're not even at Monday morning yet. That's very substantial. And it's also against the public. The public is on the Lakers for this game. So pretty strong indicators that favor the Suns, and it's just more reason to not use Lonzo Ball in this matchup. And there is an interesting lineup change by the Suns, where the Suns had been starting Mike James at point guard and bringing Tyler Ulis off the bench. Last game, they started Ulis and brought Mike James off the bench. So they were kind of in a timeshare, but just by the nature of uh, Mike James starting, he was getting a few extra minutes, and that kind of seemed to have flipped last game where we saw Ulyss play 27 minutes and Mike James in the low 20 minutes. So assuming that now it's going to be Tyler Ulyss getting the slightly larger part of the timeshare for Phoenix, I think him at 3,700 makes for a really strong value play. I think that we've seen... uh, So yeah, Mike James has been priced like high 4,000s, low 5,000s, and Ulyss has been like high 3,000s. And prior to the lineup change... um, Mike James was somebody who was priced like in the 3000 range. And I think we could see this flip now, where I think a couple weeks from now, there's a good chance that we see Tyler Eulis being priced in the 4000 Mike James being priced in the 3000s. So I think Eulis, there's value in the price at 3700 Yeah, that makes sense. And then for the rest of the Suns, I guess TJ Warren is always worth considering. Devin Booker, Probably a little too expensive, and again, this is going to come down to just better options in that price tier. So Tyler Ulis probably is really the only player that I'll have much of for for this slate just to, because of the way it's set up. Yeah, definitely. And then I think uh, TJ Warren, 6,200, he's been playing really solidly lately. He had, a, he had one weird game a couple nights ago where he was chalky, and he actually scored 20 points and literally did nothing else. He had 20 points, one rebound, and no other peripheral stats. The amount of minutes that Warren plays, he's usually going to pick up 
like a steal, a block, uh, maybe a couple assists here and there, some rebounds. Just with what his usage rate has been recently, I really like him at 6,200 in this matchup. I think that he's a good play. And then Devin Booker at 8,000. I think that there's some security to him, but uh, better better value plays on the slate than Booker. Yeah, definitely agree, and we can just move right along because I think we're going to need more time to talk about the games that we're actually excited about. Okay, here's the here's probably our favorite spot on the slate. I'm going to speak for you also because we, we already talked about this, so I know, I know it's your favorite <laughs> spot also. We have the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Utah Jazz. So usually like a general rule that I go by, a team's playing in Utah, it's an auto fade for me. The main reason for that is because Utah is the best defense in the league. The reason the Utah is the best defense in the league is because Rudy Gobert is the best individual player in the league. Well, Rudy Gobert, knee injury, he's out the next four to six weeks. And we saw the Jazz play the Nets the other day. And the Nets scored on Utah fairly easily. And the Nets are not a good team at all. So basically, I think that without Rudy Gobert on the court, this is a much closer to average defense, maybe even below average, and that's a huge downgrade from being the best defense in the league. So we have the Minnesota Timberwolves way priced down for this matchup. Carl Anthony Towns, 8,600. Jimmy Butler's at 6,700. And he got up uh, 18 shot attempts, went to the free throw line 16 times in the Timberwolves' last game. It was uh, his best output as a scorer since coming to the Timberwolves. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that the day before practice he said that he felt he was being too passive. He wanted to be a bigger role of the offense. He said that he was going to start taking more shots. He was going to be more involved in the offense, and he felt that that was going to help the, the team overall as a whole. He said he needed to be their go-to scorer. So I think that going forward, we're going to see a higher usage rate from Jimmy Butler. I think that uh, Teague, Butler, Towns are all really strong plays. And then from the Utah side of the game, Derek Favors all the way down at 4,600. He started at center in place to go bear and destroyed the Nets the other day. The Nets have a very bad defense, but guess what? So do the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves also suck on defense. 4,600 favors is one of the best value plays on the slate. Thabo Cephalosia at 3,700. He started a power forward with favors sliding over to center last game. I think he's in play at 3,700. I think this is a really stackable game with uh, guys like Teague and Butler and Towns and then something like Rubio, Favors, uh, Cephalosia, and then maybe you could even mix in somebody like Donovan Mitchell or Rodney Hood. I think this is a much stronger spot than most people are going to think. And for GPPs, I think this is just a really, really good game to target. So a couple points just on this game in general before getting to these specific players. The Jazz-Nets game from Saturday night, the Jazz won 114-106. to 106, And that was even though both teams shot under 50%. So the pace was high for that game. And you could just say it's because the Nets play fast. But the Nets have actually played a bit slower recently. And I think D'Angelo Russell missed part of that game. Or he was injured very late in the game, so that's probably not much of the reason. But either way, 220 points in a Utah Jazz game is definitely high. And I think part of it is that they're going small ball more with Gobert not available. They're just playing more guards because those are their remaining better players. So that, that I think, is definitely a trend to monitor. And then looking at the Vegas information for this game... I think most people would probably regard the Jazz when fully healthy as a similarly capable team to the Wolves when fully healthy, but the, the Timberwolves are three-and-a-half-point favorites in Utah. I think that line probably is at least Pickham or a couple points favoring the Jazz if the team is healthy and Gobert's playing, so we're looking at something like five points being switched on the point spread for Gobert's absence, 
And then the total has gone up two points already, and I would imagine that it was set higher than it would have been to begin with. Because the and I think it's still going to go up from here also. Yeah, so I think 206.5, which was the opening line, is probably a few points higher than it would have been if Gobert was playing. And it's gone up from 206.5 to 208.5, and there's actually a couple books now that are showing 209. I think this game gets above 210 before it, before it starts, maybe even significantly higher, because the structure of the Jazz team changes dramatically without Gobert, and their defensive efficiency changes. So it could, it could be an extra 5 to 10 points that we're talking about. So it actually could be argued that this is now a plus matchup for Minnesota, which is kind of insane considering how we usually view matchups in Utah. And now that we have cheaper jazz players getting more minutes, like Derek Favors specifically, who very frustrating for me, I rostered him in the DraftKings cancellation fiasco and didn't get any of the benefit of using him in Gobert's place, but... I have but we, no, do get, we do get deposit bonuses now. We do get deposit bonuses. That's very, very nice of DraftKings to give us some free cash. I also, I'm not bitter enough about it to not roll with Derek Favors again. <laughs> he's he's one of my favorite players on this slate, if not my favorite, the ultimate favorite player. Um, and I definitely agree with your point on Jimmy Butler. It does seem like he's going to be taking more shots and more of the usage going forward. So I think the core of this game is, well, maybe the core for all GPP lineups that I make for the whole slate is... You go with the three core guys on Minnesota, Teague, Butler, and Towns, and then Favors and Rubio with, with those five. And then Cephalosha will probably be with that combination in most of my lineups. And then, like you said, there are a couple other guys you could potentially mix in, like Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, maybe Taj Gibson from Minnesota. Um, easier matchup for him, too, without Gobert there. Easier for him to get rebounds than usual. So there's a lot of players to consider from here. And that's most of the reason why we've kind of glossed over all of the previous games. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'll just say one more, one last time. That's my favorite spot for GPPs. And the next game on the slate, Denver Nuggets at the Portland Trailblazers. So from the Nuggets side of the game, Gary Harris is questionable. If he can't play, it's a more secure for Jamal Murray. He had his best game probably of his entire career last game with Gary Harris out. It's a lot more minutes for Will Barton. I think there's some value in him at 6000 If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look at his pricing real quick. I think that last year when he was starting at shooting guard, he got priced over $7,000. Uh, let me see if that's correct. Uh, $6,700 at his apex. And as a starter, he averaged well over 30 fantasy points per game. Oh, actually, no, wait. He got up to 7600 Yes, yeah, 7600 Will Barton got up to last year. So him at 6,000, if he's going to start, even though it's not the ideal matchup against the Portland Trailblazers, who have been a much better defensive team than most people would expect, I think it's a really strong spot for Barton. And then uh, Jokic is almost always in play for me at GPPs. 8,400 is just too cheap for somebody of his upside. From the Portland side of the game, we have Damian Lillard at 9,100. That feels a little bit too expensive for me. Um Nurkic at 7,100. Well, that's a tough one. There's GPP upside there. You absolutely cannot roster Nurkic in cash games. I do think this is a matchup where they're going to have to play him a little more minutes to match up with Jokic. But there have been some games lately where just Nurkic, for whatever reason, either it's foul trouble or just not playing well, where he just does not play a lot of minutes. That happened the other night against the Nets. So Nurkic really just a GPP play. And then Evan Turner at 4,300. He's been getting some more minutes lately. And I think that I think he's a decent upside play as well. So there's some fairly significant sharp action on this game. 
The total has already dropped from 211.5 to 209, and I think both of these teams are playing a bit slower than we expected. Coming into the season, uh, Denver might be a little bit better defensively, too, than we expected coming into the season. Uh, I also rostered Will Barton on Saturday night a lot, anticipating that Gary Harris might not play. And that's another spot where I won't let the bitterness get the best of me, because I definitely agree with you that Barton in a starting role is way too cheap, should be a very, very strong value pick. So that, that'll be one of my favorite players, too, if he ends up starting. But the Nuggets also have dropped from plus two to plus one with some very strong public sentiment actually on Portland. 69% of the spread bets and 80% of the money line bets are on the Blazers. And that's with Gary Harris being questionable. So one, I don't think it really matters for the team's chances of winning if Gary Harris plays or doesn't play. He's just not one of the Nuggets' most significant players. Um, but it's this line movement definitely is a big downgrade to Portland. So Nurkic, as always, in GPP consideration, he's the only guy from Portland that I'm even remotely thinking about using. All right, so the next game we have uh, the Orlando Magic, the Golden State Warriors. It's really hard to make a judgment on this game because there's a lot of injury in for I'm really surprised that there's even a, uh, a spread for this game because uh, Alfred Payton is questionable with the hamstring injury. I, I kind of feel like he's more likely to play than not play. And then from the Warriors side of the game, Steph Curry is questionable to play with the thigh contusion. I think he's more likely to sit than play. I don't think Steph Curry plays tomorrow. If Curry isn't going to play, it's a huge usage boost for Durant. We saw the other night when Durant sat that it was a massive usage bump for Curry. The same thing goes the other way. If Curry doesn't sit, Durant becomes one of the top plays on the slate. And then there's also a usage boost for Klay Thompson. And then I think that Draymond Green becomes a slightly better play because he benefits more from the absence of Curry than he does from Durant. Because with Curry out of the game, the ball is in Draymond Green's hands. He really becomes a primary playmaker for the Warriors. Whereas when we saw Durant out, it doesn't really impact uh, Draymond Green all that much because there's still Steph Curry handling the ball uh, since the start of last year Draymond Green actually averages almost the same exact number of fantasy points with and without uh, Durant on the court except he does get a bump without Curry so I think that all of those guys get a bump and become strong plays there is some blowout risk here it's just really hard to definitively say until we definitely know who's in or out for this game well, yeah, I definitely agree with Curry out that Durant and Draymond Green are strong values. There's always blowout risk in Warriors games, especially at home and especially when they're playing mediocre or below average teams like the Magic. So that's still a concern. Even when Curry doesn't play, I think the Warriors at 14.5 point favorites now will still be at least 12 point favorites. But that blowout risk isn't strong enough where I wouldn't use Green and Durant. So if Curry doesn't play, it's going to be worth having them in a good number of lineups. Clay Thompson, too, but I think more there's more of a focus for us on Green and Durant. And then I guess it's a it's a pace-up game for Orlando, but I'm definitely concerned about blowout risk for them uh, with starters not playing in the fourth quarter if they're down by too much. So I don't think I'll be rostering any Orlando guys, but there's definitely some interest on Golden State if Curry's out. Yeah, we'll just have to... Sit and wait for that injury news tomorrow. The next game on this, and by the way, also, very likely we don't get that injury news prior to lock, which would be extremely annoying, because that is, like, slate-changing information. Yeah, that's a 10.30 game, right? So we, we probably won't know. Very likely. <laughs> Last game on the slate, Philadelphia 76ers at the Los Angeles Clippers. I, I just don't really understand the deal with the pricing for Joel Embiid. So last game was the first game that he 
like have it done. He's been he scored he had scored thirty eight plus fantasy points in every single game last year. But the Sixers lost by something like forty points to the Warriors last game. So Embiid just didn't play a lot of minutes, which was the reason that he only finished with like twenty five fantasy points. Embiid all the way at seventy nine hundred just seems really ridiculous to me. There's way less risk of a blowout in this game. Him and Ben Simmons are both strong plays. Uh, ben Simmons at eighty five hundred and Embiid at seventy nine hundred. That seems like a really, really steep drop in price for them in a matchup that really isn't that tough. Like, the Clippers are okay defensively, but it's not like they're some crazy juggernaut. The total for this game is 219.5 points. It's actually the third highest total on the slate behind the Golden State-Orlando game and uh, the Suns game. So I think this is still a really good spot for those guys at uh, depressed price. And then from the Clippers' side of the game, uh, DeAndre Jordan, 6,700. Generally, like, I'll stay away from Joel Embiid defense this year. But DeAndre Jordan, all of his points come from, well, his fantasy points come from rebounds and blocks. Joel Embiid isn't going to really limit him from getting rebounds. He's not going to really limit him from getting blocks. The only thing that he could really do to DeAndre Jordan is get him in foul trouble. I think 6,700 is a good value price on Deon, on uh, Jordan. And then from the other Clippers players, uh, we have Patrick Beverly has been ruled out again with knee injury. Lou Williams at 5,600. That's a definite yes for me. And then the other guys, it's it's kind of hard to really pick out which one of them are going to play well. Cinderius uh, Thornwell, I think he had one good game without Beverly. And then I think Juwan Evans had another good game without Beverly. I think both of them are pretty risky. And I don't think that the upside is much more than 20 or so fantasy points for either of them. So I would prefer to just roster uh, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Lou Williams from this game. Uh Mostly Lou Williams, that was a strong target, and then just kind of more peripheral plays, uh, Blake Griffin and Jordan. So I'm a little confused that the total for this game is so high, because the Clippers aren't one of the fastest-paced teams in the league. Is it really just that Beverly's out, so their defense is a lot worse, and then because the Sixers play so fast, the game's going to be paced up? Because it's kind of hard to fade Ben Simmons here, and there are a lot of guys that are similarly priced that I think we prefer, so... I don't think it's really viable to make stacks that have both Embiid and Simmons in them, unless you're kind of ignoring Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague and all the guys in that game, and then maybe Durant and Draymond Green too. Um, for the for the Clippers, though, Lou Williams, obviously a great pick. He actually wasn't as good in his last game, so maybe he keeps his ownership down. But what are your general thoughts on why the total for this game is so high? Well, the Clippers haven't been good on defense this year. They were good last year. But they're 22nd in defensive efficiency this year. So the question is, are they, I think they were like 7th or 8th in defensive efficiency last year. So are they going to improve going forward? Or is this really just a huge drop-off from Chris Paul not being there? And then obviously also Patrick Beverly uh, getting hurt. That's another big ground downgrade to their defense. So I think some of it's injury-related. Uh, some of it's just performance-related. And then let's see, what are the pace of these teams? So we have the Clippers are 20th in pace. And the Sixers are third in pace. So overall, I'd expect this to be a fairly fast game with uh, Clippers not being a great defensive team. Where are see, Philly in defensive efficiency is 16th, so right around league average. Yeah, I just think this is going to be an up-paced game. Overall, the teams average out to both be not great on defense, fast game, and Clippers dealing with injuries to some key defensive players. Yeah, I think it's that... Uh, key defensive player injury thing that's going to be the most impactful with Beverly, which 
makes fading Simmons fairly tough, so definitely not ruling out using him, although I think I'm going to like some players better. But this is a game that generally seems like one of the stronger ones to target. It's really hard to say, though. I think there are really a lot of good spots on this slate. So I'll just say for stacking purposes, I I think I'm probably just going to actually stack the Timberwolves-Jazz game. And so I'll acknowledge there are good plays in other games that people would go after. But for me, it's going to be mostly that game to target. Yeah, I think we're both especially into that game. Just it's it's a very exciting spot with the way that it's played out with Gobert not playing, and I think the ownership there will be much lower than some of the more obvious spots in games with higher totals. So there's a lot of GPP upside there. I think for me too, I'll be almost entirely just stacking from that game. All right, so that'll finish up today's podcast. I don't think we're gonna have one tomorrow. It's only a three game slate on Tuesday, so maybe if there's something that looks really interesting, maybe we'll talk about it. But I think most likely that's just gonna be an off night for us because. I I think three games late, I'm almost definitely going to be sitting it out. So I'd rather give no advice than just shitty half-assed advice and try to force myself to give out plays. So maybe there'll be value on that slate, but probably not. And we won't have time uh, to record anyway because you'll be uh, talking to Wally Zerbiak and Al Trotwig and the other Knicks broadcasters, right? I know. And I, I have to really consider uh, whether I tell Wally that when we were 13 years old, we thought his last name was pronounced Scissordick. So that's going to be that's gonna be a big moment for me when I talk to Wally Serbiak and whether I do or don't tell him off camera that I used to call him Scissordick. So that'll be a big decision in my television career. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at GIRNBERDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. And if you live in the tri-state area, you could check out the Knicks broadcast. I think I'm going to be on some combination of MSG and MSG+. I have to be honest, I don't even really know what MSG Plus is, but I'm going to assume it's right next to MSG on the on the channel guide. Uh, and we'll be back either tomorrow or more likely uh, for Wednesday slate.